Well, let's commit this time together to the Lord, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for that reading from Deuteronomy this morning. And as we commence this new preaching series in Deuteronomy, focusing on choosing life, we ask, Father, that, uh, that you might speak to our hearts today, that you might be the God who uh, we recognize as the one true God, the living God, the God who has had a history right throughout uh, Right throughout the, uh, you know, the uh, course of, uh, of, of history with, with your people. And we today stand in uh, that line, Father, of people who you have called uh, to uh, live life with you, to honour you, to worship you, to praise you, but also to be witnesses about you to our surrounding world. And so we pray that as we begin this series this morning, as we look at this passage, that you might indeed um, really talk to our hearts today. He give us eyes and hearts of faith that, uh, that are able to understand and hear your word to us. Help us, Lord, indeed, to be changed by it through the power of your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might be familiar with uh, the Indiana Jones series of movies. Uh, in one of the uh, the movies, uh, the uh, third one, it is the movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And in that movie, he uh, comes to a particular uh, point in the movie where he is actually faced with a challenge of trying to cross this huge big chasm between two sort of cliffs. And, uh, and the clue that he has from his uh, father basically says, only he who steps from the lion's head will actually prove his worth. And so there's this statue of this lion's head that's right there on this, uh, on this edge of this cliff, which you sort of see behind me there on the screen. But how on earth does he actually get to the other side? It's telling him that he's actually got to step out in faith. He's actually got to uh, just to, you know, sort of basically put his, uh, his heart in his hands and just put that foot forward and, and step out. Well, some of you who have seen the movie will know what happens. I'm not going to spoil it for the rest of you, so you'll just have to uh, go home and watch it later on. But throughout the Bible... There are numerous examples of God who tells people to follow him by faith, to step out in faith, to trust and obey him when it comes to launching out into life and especially into the unknown. We've got numerous examples in the scriptures. For instance, Noah. God had told Noah, Noah, I want you to build an ark because it's going to rain. Now, the people of Noah's day, they'd never known what rain was. But God says, I want you to build this ark and I want you to build it, you know, in these certain dimensions because I am going to bring my judgment upon the world through this flood. And so Noah indeed obeyed God. Abraham. God spoke to Abraham when he was living in, uh, in modern day, uh, Iraq and he, and he called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your, your country, your family, all that you've ever known and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham believed God and he trusted in him and he set out and followed God in that way. Moses, who was uh, you know, called by God, God spoke to Moses there in the wilderness in the burning bush and he said to Moses that he wanted him to go back to Egypt to, uh, to bring, to lead his people, God's people, the Hebrews, out of slavery. And of course, there's a big uh, challenge to Moses because when he had left Egypt, he'd actually killed an Egyptian soldier. And he knew that Pharaoh was aware of that. And so he was afraid for his life. But God still called him to go back to that place. 
there's numerous other examples in the Old Testament. If we move across to the New Testament, we can think of people like Joseph, who was married to Mary. And at that stage, when, uh, when God had appeared to Mary and said that she was actually going to, uh, to give birth to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ, um, Joseph was, uh, was really unsure about that. And he was not prepared to take Mary as his wife. But an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, do not be afraid. It's okay. Because the, the child that is growing inside Mary is, has been born of the Holy Spirit of God. And so Joseph was able to then take Mary as his wife. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had an incredible uh, mission given to him by God to go and spread the gospel to the then Roman Empire back in the first century. And his willingness to follow the Spirit's leading was, was quite remarkable, particularly when he knew that he faced incredible dangers. And... Um, well, that's the title for the message today, by the way, Time to Move. In, in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 to, 20 to 24, we read this. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, but not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was heading back to Jerusalem, probably knowing that when he got there, he was going to be facing imprisonment and all kinds of afflictions. And yet he was constrained by God to, because that was where God wanted him to go. And so he's willing to step out in faith and trust God and obey him. And folks, one of the key aspects of being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be willing to obey him and trust him regardless even if it means that the way ahead seems uncertain, even if it means the way ahead may uh, have with it a lot of difficulty, or if, in our opinion, the way ahead might not even make sense, if it means even letting go of our dreams and our desires, our plans and our purposes, God calls us to be willing to trust him and obey him in his leading in our lives. Being a true follower of God requires faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here in our passage this morning in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verses 6 and 7, we are told that God gave a command to his people. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to, uh, to open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 1 if you haven't already got them open there. And we read these words. It says, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, He said, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Turn and take your journey. The people of Israel had spent 11 months there at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, if you like. Okay, It's just uh, interchangeable names for the same place. They had spent 11 months there. God had, had brought them to, to that place out of slavery in Egypt. And at, that, uh, at that mountain, God had revealed himself in an incredibly powerful way through the, the smoke and the fire and the lightning there on top of the mountain, which terrified the people. 
And it was here that God had, uh, had revealed to them the law, his way of life, his way of living. And he'd entered into a, a covenant relationship with his people. But now having spent 11 months there learning God's plans for them, learning God's ways for them, he said now it was time for them to move on. It was time for them to go to the land that God had promised to give them, the promised land. You see, Mount Sinai, although as spectacular and amazing as it was, wasn't the final destination for the people of God. The promised land of Canaan was, or modern day Israel today. And our salvation in Jesus Christ, oftentimes we kind of see that as the the defining moment in our lives. And it is very, very significant, but that is not the end of the journey. In fact, that is just the beginning of our journey with God and with his son Jesus. See, when God saved you, he also called you to a life of faith and obedience in him. So to follow him and his ways, to grow in your love and devotion and obedience to God, this is for our good and God's purpose for each and every one of us living in our world today. God God desires to have that personal, intimate relationship with, with everyone because we are his creatures, we are his creation. God wants this for our good. The fact of the matter is, though, that for many of us, we've got complacent where we are. We've got complacent. We've made camp where we are. And we've decided to stay where we are because it's comfortable. Because it's, it's, it's the normal, it's the routine that we've found ourselves in. And it's easy to kind of stay in that place. As I said, the people of Israel were camped at that mountain for 11 months and they would have got into a routine, you know, day by day. They, even though the, the presence of God there, right there on the mountain, they would, have got, they would have just gone through their routines every day, getting breakfast, going through the day, whatever they did throughout the day. And for us, routine may have taken over to the point that we have got stuck in a rut in our Christian lives. And as we look at this passage, when God says you've stayed long enough at this mountain, it is God's way of saying to us that he wants us to call us out of that routine, out of that rut, out of that complacency, out of that position of comfort and just what is the status quo in our lives. God is saying to us that if you find yourself there this morning, that is not where you are meant to be. You have stayed long enough at this mountain and it is time for you to turn and take your journey into faith and obedience and trust with God in all aspects of our lives as he leads us forward. There's more to learn and experience of God for each of us. There's more of spiritual growing to do in our lives. God wants to, uh, to make our lives more fruitful for his purposes and for his kingdom. But in order to do that, we ourselves need to be willing to trust him and obey him, to have that faith in him, knowing that he indeed has our good at heart. We need to be willing to step out in faith and trust in all the promises that God has for us in Jesus Christ. 
So as we consider this passage in Deuteronomy 1 this morning, we're going to learn that there are three things essential to living this life of faith. And the first is this, that living a life of faith means obeying God's commands. We see this in verse 3 of our passage this morning. And it says this, that in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. As Barry reminded us just before with the reading, here in Deuteronomy, Moses, is, his goal, his purpose, if you like, as these people are, are camped on the plains of Moab on the, uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, just as they prepare to, to go in and, and, and enter into the land of Israel, Moses' purpose is to, is to call this new generation of people to, to faith and obedience in God. This book is a, a recounting, if you like, of these final words of Moses to the people of Israel. Moses wants to impress upon their hearts. He wants to impress upon their minds the importance of trusting in and obeying God. For he says, for in this they will find what real life is all about. They will find true life. And yes, the people will be faced with all kinds of, of challenges and, uh, and all kinds of temptations and all kinds of choices as they enter into the promised land. But if they want to experience the best of life, then they must choose to obey God and have faith in him. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 13 says this. This is, uh, uh, again, we'll, and we'll be looking at this a little bit later on in this series. But Moses says to the people, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. That is to have a a proper reverence and awe and respect and understanding of who God is in all his majesty and his glory. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve him with, with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today. What does it say at the end? For your good. For your good. Sadly, if we go back to, uh, to the, um, garden of, of, uh, sorry, the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, God had said to Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, he said to them, you know what? He said, I want you to enjoy all of the creation. I want you to have dominion over it. And I want you to rule it you know, under, 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 God's, you know, under God's authority. And he said, and there's just, but there's just one thing I, want you, I, I forbid you to, 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 to do, and that is to eat from the knowledge, to eat from the fruit of the knowledge of, of good and evil there in the garden, in the middle of the garden. And one day we're told that as Adam and Eve are there in the garden, Satan comes to them. And he says to them, what did God say to you? And they said, well, they said, you know, we're not really supposed to eat of this particular fruit of this tree or even touch it because we'll surely die. And Satan says to them, you know what? You won't surely die. In fact, you'll be just like God. God is actually he's stopping you from eating this fruit because he doesn't want you to be like him. He really hasn't got your good at heart. He wants to deny you so that you know, he can keep that, you know, that place of, of authority and, and keep you in your place kind of thing. 
And since that very day that Satan sowed those seeds of doubt with regards to God's goodness to Adam and Eve, that has been his ploy right through history to, to, to try and convince us as God's creatures that God does not have our good at heart at all. That he is not to be trusted. That he wants to deny us. He wants to deny us from having, you know, enjoying all these pleasures that the world offers us and that sort of thing. But here in God's word, he says, this is the way you are to live and it is for your good. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 19 and 20, which is right at the end of the book, just before Moses dies, Moses says this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. In other words, you can choose to follow God and experience life or you can choose to disobey God and suffer the consequences of that. And he talks about death, blessing and curse. So there Moses almost pleads, he implores the people when he says, therefore, choose Life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. It is this same covenant keeping God Faith in this covenant-keeping God and obedience to him which leads to life. And folks, today we are surrounded by myriads of choices that our world floods us with today about if you choose this and if you go after this, then this will bring you meaning and satisfaction and hope and, uh, and joy and happiness and all those things in our lives. But God says that it's just a ruse. God says, if you want to know what true life is really all about, if you want to experience life in all its fullness, in all its vibrancy, in all its fulfillment and depth of meaning and purpose, then you can only do that through God because he himself is life. He is your life. Although these are the words of Moses, we need to keep in mind that in fact, These are the words that Moses spoke, but they are the words which God had given him to speak to the people. They were God's words to the people. And because they were God's words, they needed to be taken seriously. And this morning, when we hear this message preached, proclaimed from the word of God, We ourselves also need to recognize that it is God speaking to us. Yes, at the moment he's using, you know, a human being as a, as, as a, as a message, as a, as a way of, of, of proclaiming that message to you today. And I don't for one minute profess to stand up here and speak with, with a, a divine authority of God that God has just given to me alone. But I do so from the word of God. And it is God's word to us, to you this morning. It is though God is speaking to your very heart today. And God's commands are meant to be obeyed. God's words are not up for debate. 
They're not meant to be analysed and judged in light of man's so-called wisdom to see if they're worthwhile following. But we can be confident that God's commands are for our good. So we need to remember that living the life of faith means obeying God's commands. It also means trusting in God's promises. Verses 7 and 8. God says... Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, to all their neighbours in the Arabah, that is the the Jordan Valley, in the hill country and in the lowland, that is the the country west of the Jordan River, okay, with the uh, the small mountains on the other side of the Jordan Valley there, and to uh, to go to the sea coast, to the land of the Canaanites, up, up as far as Lebanon and Syria, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And God says, See, I have set this land before you. Go in and take possession of this land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. When God first spoke to Abraham, he said, I want you to, to leave all of, your, all of your family, all of your kindred, all of what you've known behind and go to a land that I will show you. But then he, he said that I'm, if you do that, I am going to bless you. I am actually going to bless you so much. I'm going to make you your name great. I'm going to make you into a nation. Even though Abraham and Sarah were, uh, were unable to have children, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he said, not only that, I'm going to give you a land and I am going to use you to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And here we see God's promises unfolding. The promises that he'd made to Abraham, we start to see unfolding here in this particular book. See, at Mount Sinai, God entered into this covenant relationship with this people of Israel. He promised to be their God. He promised that he would fulfill all the promises he made to Abraham. He promised to bless them, to give them a land for their own possession, to protect them, to care for them, to rule them with mercy and kindness. And it was their responsibility to submit to his authority and to obey him. That is to live in accordance with his law to be a witness to the surrounding nations of God's nature, of God's holiness, of God's majesty, of God's glory, and of of, of the reality of God. And God committed himself to this chosen people. And God does not go back on his promises because he is always faithful, even when God's people themselves prove to be faithless. When we don't uphold our end of the bargain, God still remains faithful to us. And folks, if this is the only lesson that you hear today, the only thing that you hear today, it needs to be this, that for believers in Jesus Christ, that we can have this wonderful assurance of knowing that God is always, always faithful to us, even when we are not faithful to him. That is how good God is. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And his promises are sure and certain. In fact, God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 that all of his promises are yes in Christ. 
For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So what are some of those promises? Well, quickly, there's a few, and I'm just going to give you the references this morning. Okay, so you might like to jot these down if you like and, and have a look at them later. But first of all, he gives us the promise of salvation. When Peter was preaching in Acts 2, he said that uh, for the people, if they repent and, and, and be baptised for every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, then he will indeed give you forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. God promises to supply all our needs. Philippians 4.19 He will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He promises to give us an eternal home. John chapter 14 and verse 3 Jesus says, where I am, you will be also. I will come and take you to be with me. And of course, as we've just said, God's abiding presence. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven, he says, go and make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And right at the end of that, he gives them a promise and says, and I surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And again, in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, it says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. The promise here that we find in this passage in Deuteronomy is found in verse 8. It says, I've set the land before you, the land that I swore to your fathers to give to them. And the people could have utmost confidence that the land that was set before them, in a way, was already theirs. It was already theirs because God himself had promised to give it to them. And God does not go back on his promises. Now, yes, it would mean that they themselves had to, had to actually have an active part in that. They had to follow God. They had to, they had to obey him. They needed to actually go into the land and actually fight battles with the people in the land. But God promised that he would indeed go with them and fight for them on their behalf. If they, provide, if they trusted and obeyed in him. But folks, following God today does not mean having a blind faith. It is not having a blind faith. And that is a faith that has no reasonable basis to it. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 we're told this, that faith is the assurance of of things hoped for, or the substance of things hoped for, and the conviction or a full confidence of things not seen. Now you can, you know, um, put in your uh, Christmas list, your, you know, for uh, for later on this year to mum and dad or to your wife, or your husband, or whoever, and say, you know what, I would really love this for Christmas. I would just, I, I, this this present just would mean so much to me to get at this Christmas. But you have no idea whether or not you're going to get that present. Even if, you, even if your parents or your partner says, oh, yeah, well, we might see what we can do. You might think, well, oh, look, you know, I, I, hope, I hope that I might get it, but I'm really not sure if, if I will or not. That's not the kind of faith that God is talking about here in this passage. God is saying that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is a conviction or a, a confidence 
of getting those things that are not yet seen. There is this settled confidence in God knowing that he will give us what he promises. And the reason we can have this confidence in God is because of his character and his nature. God has proved over and over and over again that we can trust him. So it means, living a life of faith means trusting in God's promises, but it also means learning from the past. We see that in verses 2 to 4 of our passage this morning. See, God had worked so many miracles on behalf of his people. God had revealed his power and his strength and his might in rescuing the, the people of Israel from slavery, the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. He'd, he'd brought on these ten plagues on the land of Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. He demonstrated his power in that way. And each of those plagues, by the way, was an actual, a, a, test, a testament to God's power over the gods of Egypt. That God was greater than all of Egypt's gods. Not only that, he had parted the Red Sea when the, when the, the nation of, of, of Israel was there at the Dead Sea, uh, the Red Sea ready to, uh, you know, ready to uh, go across. The, um, the Egyptian army came up behind them and they thought they'd all be slaughtered there. But God opened up the sea, allowed them to go through on dry land and then brought back the sea on top of the, uh, on top of the Egyptian uh, army. He'd saved them there in a miraculous way. He'd provided food and water in the wilderness. And here in this passage, we're told of God's victory over the two Amorite kings, Sion and Og. And what God is actually saying here, what, what God is saying through Moses here is this, is that the reason he tells us of this victory is that it would be a visible reminder to the people of Israel that God had already started to bring about his promises to them, to basically give them, if you like, a down payment that, that you know, his promises are sure and guaranteed. The land that is spoken about here when he says the land of the Amorites is actually the land on the, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. This land that was ruled by these two kings, Sion and Og, and God had defeated them. And God is saying to his people, you know what? Here is the down payment. This is to sort of show you that what I'm capable of on your behalf, if you just trust me and follow me. But what we also see in this passage is also a subtle reminder of what happens when God's people refuse to obey him. Look at verse 2 for a moment. It says this, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, which is on the southern border of Israel or Canaan in that day. 11 days' journey from Mount Sinai Okay, here's the map behind me. So they've come from Egypt. They've come from Egypt here. They've crossed the Red Sea here. They've come down to Mount Sinai. And then they're heading back up here to the southern borders of, of Israel, to Kadesh Barnea there. That's an 11-day journey from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. But then what do we read in verse 3? In the 40th year. In the 40th year. What happened? 11 days, 40 years. There seems a great big gap there, doesn't there? 40 years elapses and the people are only now getting to go into the land. 
And the reason for that is very, very vivid in these people's minds, these people who are hearing Moses' words, because they are in fact the new generation, because the old generation of Hebrews have died in the wilderness because of their disobedience to God. And we're going to be looking at that in the next few chapters over the next few weeks. They had chosen to disobey God and had suffered the consequences for it. They missed out. They missed out on all the good that God had promised them, that God was wanting to give them. They missed out. And the question for us this morning is this. Are we too going to miss out on all that God has in store for you and I as individuals and for his church here at North Pine? As we look back on our history here at the church, we see God's incredible faithfulness to his people here in this place. We look back and we see the obedience of past generations as they have moved from from Kalanga over there in Boardman Street to this new block of land here 35 years ago and have built all the facilities and things that we see here before us today. You know, in many ways, the envy of, of many, many churches around the place who would just love to have what we have here. The land, the facilities, all that's, that's available to us for expansion and things like that. God has proved himself faithful through those generations. Those people who have trusted in God, who have stepped out in faith, who have, who have put in hard yards, who have sacrificed time and effort and energy and resources. People who have given up things. For God, because they know that God has got their good in mind and he's wanting to use them to build his kingdom. We have seen how God has grown his church to the point where we are at today. But we can't be content, folks, to stay at this mountain. We cannot be content to stay where we are. There's a land in which God is calling us. And there are new challenges to face and to see God's wonderful power at work in. And there are new horizons waiting to be discovered by faith and abundant blessings to be experienced as we walk hand in hand in obedience and trust with God. And it's not that it's not just for the church here, but it's also for you as individuals as well. God is saying to to you and to all of us this morning that you have stayed long enough at this mountain. And it is time to take your journey, to turn and take your journey into all that God has for us into the future. Doesn't that excite you? Yeah, you look really excited this morning. (laughs) Folks, it's time to move. And yes, you know, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. And it may well bring about giants to face in our lives and in the life of our church. Huge giants that would seem insurmountable, obstacles that seem as though they're impossible to get through or or to get beyond. And there may even be some sacrifices to make. And in fact, I'm sure there'll be sacrifices to make and pain to endure. But we know that God is with us in that and that his love and faithfulness assures us that he can be trusted no matter what. God can be trusted. 
Because after all, as we've been learning today, his purpose is for our good and for his glory. The way is set before you, as Moses says in Deuteronomy. See, I've set the way before you. God is setting the way before us today. He's setting the way before you as an individual sitting there in that seat this morning. He is setting that way before you and he says, see, I want you to choose life. I have set before you the way of life and the way of death, the way of blessing and the way of curse. But choose life. Choose life. Life with God. Faith and trust and obedience to him. Because in that way, we will indeed know incredible blessing from God. Isn't that something to be looked forward to? Amen. Amen. Will you step out in faith? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we pray that, um, that these words that we've heard about the fact that we have stayed long enough here at this mountain. And Lord, if that's something that you're actually speaking to people's hearts about today, here in this place, as individual lives, I pray, Lord, that those words will continue to ring in, in each of our ears and our hearts, not just now, but as we go from this place this morning. And as we go into this week, this week, let us let those words continue to ring in our hearts and minds that, that you want us to, to walk with you. We want, to, we, we want, Lord, to, to be people who experience that fullness and that vitality and that joy and that, that, that deep sense of, of meaning and purpose of what real life is all about. But, Lord, we know that will only come with a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be people who are ready to step out in faith, to trust you knowing that your promises are sure and that you are working for your glory and for our good. Help us to be people of faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our singers come up this morning, I've just got a little video clip to show you, which I might sort of give you a bit of an idea of what happens to Indiana Jones. Well, because...